Well, good morning again. We are so glad that you could join us, so glad you could join us at home or wherever you're at. The title of this series is, is The Word Became Flesh and Moved Into the Neighborhood. We get that from John chapter 1, verse 14, the message version that says just that. The Word became flesh and blood, moved into the neighborhood. Shortly after Jesus' death on the cross, these once, you know, disheartened, frady cat disciples were telling the world that when we encounter Jesus Christ, we encounter God Almighty, that this Jewish carpenter from that backwoods town called Nazareth is the true and living God. None of them said, you know, Jesus lives in our memories. None of them said, oh, we had this wonderful religious experience and, and we think you should have this wonderful religious experience too. They didn't talk like that. What they said was, Jesus of Nazareth, Around here we say Jesus the Nazarene, but that's another story. Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, the only begotten Son of God. Paul put it this way. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross God is with us Jesus said it a lot more simple than Paul he simply said the father and I are one and whoever seen me has seen the father there you got it you want to know what God is like, God's character, God's, God's will, God's love, God's mercy? Look to Jesus. What did Jesus do? Well, he loved broken people. He ate with sinners. He healed the sick, brought sight to the blind, touched people that no one was supposed to touch, went to people, went to places you weren't supposed to go. He did things on the Sabbath you weren't supposed to do. What did Jesus do? He interrupted a funeral to share the grief of a mother who just lost her son. He cast out demons out of the mentally ill or those who were, who were traumatized by something outside of themselves. He had compassion when the prostitute came and started weeping at his feet. He got angry at those religious people who just were so smug and so full of themselves. And what did Jesus say? He said, I have come to save, to seek and to save the lost. That's it. That's the whole ball of wax. That's his purpose. That's the mission. Who moved into the neighborhood? Emmanuel. God is with us. God is with us. You know something quirky about this whole thing in Matthew's gospel? Well, there's two quirky things. Quirky thing one, this is the little quirky thing. Quirky thing one is in Matthew, he says, he quotes back, refers back, points back to Isaiah. In Isaiah, when you read Isaiah, it says Emmanuel, and it's spelled with an I. And then when you get to, to Matthew, he spells Emmanuel with an E. And sometimes you'll see an E, an I, which is it? Maybe I just get hung up on that. It's the difference between Hebrew and Greek. 
But, you know, Carla, whenever she tells her name, she says, I'm Carla with a K. And so maybe E or I, doesn't matter. That's not the real quirky thing. The real quirky thing is Matthew says this, right? He will call his name, he will call the virgin will give birth, and he will call his name Emmanuel. No one ever called Jesus Emmanuel. There's no record of any place in the Bible where Jesus is called Emmanuel. It's always Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. Sometimes he's referred to, as, he referred to himself as son of man. People refer to him as son of God. Jesus, 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 Savior. Jesus is Savior of the world. Never, no place is he called Emmanuel. Why is that? Because Jesus exuded Emmanuel. Wherever he went, he did the things that only God could do. He spoke the way only God could speak. He cared for people the way only God could do it. He spoke intimately with the Father as one who was one with the Father. He exuded Emmanuel. You didn't have to call him Emmanuel. He was Emmanuel. God is with us. And God is with us now. That's, that's who moves into the neighborhood. What does it mean? What does it mean for God to be with us and move into our neighborhood? Or maybe better, better, better asked. What does it mean for God is with us, Emmanuel, to move into the neighborhood in a pandemic? I think it means a lot. We all know the terrible outcomes of this pandemic. I checked the stats this morning. In our state, in Michigan, there's been 464,000 cases. That's what was reported as of this morning. 11,186 deaths. In Genesee County, in our county, 14,482 cases, 502 deaths. I did two. I did the two of the 502. I've done two funerals for people who've died uh, complications from COVID. But those statistics, those are just statistics. I, I think one of the great tragedies of the last nine months the pandemic and the lockdown and all that, I think it's loneliness. Can we talk about loneliness for a minute? Can you folks at home, can we talk about loneliness for a minute? Deep loneliness that this pandemic and quarantine has, the impact of that I think is immeasurable. A Gallup poll, we got a chart. A Gallup poll just this week, just this week, showed a people who were rating their mental illness, every mental health, Everyone went down. At every category, it went down. From last year to this year, their mental health, mental well-being, except one category. Guess what it was? People, people who went to religious services weekly. You see it up there at the very, very top, from 42 to 46. That's the only one who, who, who would rate their mental health as excellence. Uh, not Democrats, Republicans, rich, poor, didn't matter, didn't matter, didn't matter. Those who attended church even monthly went down. Those who seldom never, down, down, down. Those who attend a church weekly, we really do need each other. Now, my point here, listen at home. You listen at home. I'm not telling you this stat to make you feel guilty. That's not my point at all. In fact, some of you can't get out. That's my point. My point is some of you want to be here. With all your heart, you want to be here. You want to be able to sing, you know, joy, joy, joy with the whole church and your home. And you don't want to be there. And you're lonely. See, that's the problem. I get it. So what are we going to do about it? You know, my, mother, my mother-in-law, you can count on one time, hand the number of times she's been out of the place where she lives. She's been to the doctor. She uh, went to buy an ambulance to the hospital. She's been to a CAT scan. In nine months, that's it. And she's not the only one. 
There's plenty of people just in her shoes. She's lonely. That's my point. Even, even before the pandemic, you talk to any pastor, counselor, social worker, anything, they'll tell you that loneliness has always been an issue. You know, because, and there's a lot of other reasons, not pandemic related, you know, death or divorce or relocation or simply shyness, uh, uh, change of life, all those things. But the pandemic has nailed us. People who've never been lonely before are lonely now. And loneliness affects all age groups. It affects all socioeconomic uh, groups. It affects all, all races, all, all everything, religion, politics, doesn't matter. The, the pandemic has slammed us. And I've talked to some students, some children. You know, Zoom school just doesn't cut it. And I've talked to students, older students. They were lonely before. They were, they were lonely before. They were sitting in, you know, the cafeteria by themselves before. And the pandemic has not helped. COVID-19 has been horrible, horrible, horrible for our senior adults locked in their houses. I've talked to ministers. Pastoring in a pandemic during an election year, divisive election year, has created uh, a loneliness and a deep struggle. It's harder to pastor now than ever, ever in my 30 years, but I think ever probably in the last century. The pandemic, let me, I'll make this prediction. We're going to see a lot of churches close. And we're also going to see a lot of uh, churches without a pastor. Well, pastor, if a lot of churches close, there ought to be extra pastors. No. Pastors are dropping out like flies. There's a shortage. Why? Because they're burned out because of the pandemic, or they're burned out because of the election, or they're burned out because of carnal people, or they're burned out because of social media. They're burned out, and they're dropping like flies. The pandemic, my point is the pandemic has beat us up. And I don't know what form, you know, the loneliness takes in your life, but I know that it's hard and it's troubling and it's unsettling. And can we just be honest this morning and say, you know, that loneliness, it stinks. Pastor, this is not a very uplifting sermon right now. (laughs) Hang with me. Maybe you need to hear this. If you're one of those people that are struggling with loneliness, hear this, some of God's best and brightest were lonely too. Who is the hero of the Old Testament? King David, right? You can't read the Psalms without figuring out that David dealt with loneliness. Who's one of the great prophets of the Old Testament? Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Why is he weeping? Because he's following God and no one else is following around with him. Who's one of the great, after Jesus, who's the greatest hero in the New Testament? The Apostle Paul, right? Well, Paul gives us a glimpse in his very last letter that he wrote, 2 Timothy. And on the very last page of the last letter, this is what it says. Do your best to come quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me, gone to Thessalonica, stinking Demas. And Crescens has gone to Galatia, and Titus is to Dal- Dalmatia to see the dogs. And only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him too, because he is helpful in my ministry. And then he says this, at my first defense, no one, not one single person came to my support, but everyone, everyone, everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. People let him down. People had to move away. No one was there. Paul was lonely. Does it sound familiar? If you struggle with loneliness and feelings of isolation, you are not alone. Loneliness happens not because of sin, not because God is trying to get you, not because, because you know, God's trying to teach you a lesson. David, Jeremiah, Paul were exactly where God wanted them to be, and they were lonely. 
Our enemy wants us to think that those are our feelings that we're experiencing because God hates us, God's mad at us, God's left us, God's whatever. None of that is true. Emmanuel, God is with us. God has moved into the neighborhood. Let me remind you, the Christmas story is not about shepherds and angels and, and, and wise men showing up. The, uh, the gospel writers did not write the Christmas story and say, man, isn't it cool these wise men showed up? No, they're writing the Christmas story to say, isn't it cool, Emmanuel, God with us, God showed up. That's what's cool about it. It's Emmanuel. Emmanuel has moved into the neighborhood. That's what Christmas is all about. And he came to remind us, no matter what our circumstance, pandemic, loneliness, quarantine, isolation, all the rest, God is with us. King David said it this way. I like the way the message version reads. It says, I look behind me, and you're there. Then up ahead, you're there too. Your reassuring presence coming and going. This is too much, too wonderful. I can't take it all in. Is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit, to be out of your sight? If I climb to the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I flew on the morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'll find me in a minute. You're always there waiting. God is with us. Remember what God said? Hebrews, never will I leave you or forsake you. Remember what Jesus said? Last words in the book of Matthew. Lo, I am with you always. That's the old joke about the guy who wouldn't fly. You know, I'm not going to go up in the plane. Why aren't you going to go up in the plane? Quotes the Bible verse. God didn't say, hi, I'm with you always. Lo, I'm with you always. That's dumb. I'm sorry. I've given you a lot of scripture. Some of you are saying, Pastor, you've given us a lot of scripture this morning. I know all of that. And guess what? I'm still lonely. I know all about the Christmas story. I know all about God is with us. I know all about all of that but I'm still lonely. (laughs) All right, what's the remedy? Let's talk about the remedy. To your lonely, fearful, troubled COVID Christmas, what's the remedy? I don't know God's part. I know this, God is faithful. And God will do what God needs to do exactly at the right time God needs to do it, and we can always trust in him, God is faithful. I don't know God's part in this equation. I, and I know, I know we can count on God's part. But some of this, some of this is on us. My mom's advice when I was a little boy is still true, true advice. To have a friend, you've got to be a friend. And I know that's tough in a pandemic. It's tough when we're socially distancing and wearing masks. I get it. But we've got to try. It's getting our eyes off ourselves and off of our circumstances and off of our problems and helping others. I, I, when I pastored the church at Richfield... Uh, there's a lady who came into church. Her son would bring her. They, she would sit on the, on the last pew. In the, she had a wheelchair, so she put her w- wheelchair by the last pew, the last seat in, in the center aisle. And every Sunday, every single Sunday, I'd preach, and then when I'd said the benediction, I'd walk down the center aisle, and I'd stop. Her name was Vernice, and I'd stop at Vernice, and I'd bend down because she was really hunched over in her wheelchair, and I said, hey, Bernice, how you doing today? It could have been in the bulletin because I did that every single week. Sermon, song, benediction, out the door, say hello to Bernice and go greet people. Every single week. And, I, and Bernice, she was, you know, she was all crippled up. She had a very weak voice. She didn't have much. And you know what she did? She wrote letters. 
hundreds, we would supply her, the church would supply her with stamps because she sent so many letters out to people. And she knew that somebody was hurting or if they lost a loved one or, or whatever. And she wouldn't just say, you know, she wouldn't just get a, a, a sympathy card and send it to them, you know, love Vernice. No, she would write a letter. She would tell them about, you know, the Christmas happening. She would talk about how beautiful the church was decorated. She would talk about how she loved the Easter service. She would talk about this and that. She wrote a letter. She wrote letters. What did she do? She recognized. She, didn't get, she could have had a plenty of reasons to be inward focused. She couldn't do a whole lot, but she could write letters. And boy, she did. Why? Because she, was, she experienced God with us. Emmanuel is with us. And it showed in her life. Last week I was talking to somebody from, from here and we were talking about some people from our church that uh, have had a lot of strikes against them. And we've got some folks in our church that just inspire me. I don't know if you've met Jessica Dale. Jessica, in fact, Jessica's here. She's sitting right over there. Jessica, when she was born, uh, she was the smallest baby born in Hurley Hospital to survive that was then transferred down to Children's Hospital. Get this, at her birth... Jessica, she's 25 years old, just about the same age as my Ben. At her birth, she weighed one pound, two ounces. She could fit in her daddy's hand. The doctor said if you took a piece of paper, an 8 by 11 piece of paper, and folded it in half, you could put it over her, and that would be her tent. Jessica, sitting right over there. She's had 235 surgeries in her life. Let that sink in. I've had two. I had my appendix out, had a kidney stone. Two. Jessica's had 235. You know what that means? That means her parents have gone to 235 surgeries as well. But if you were to talk to Jessica, she's blind. She uses a cane. She loves Jesus. She loves coming to our concerts when when we used to have concerts. She praises the Lord. She exudes Jesus. God is with us. Emmanuel. In the next service, if you were to stick around the next service, there's going to be a lady. Her name is Angela Peter. She's going to bring her wheelchair in and sit it right over there. Angela, if you've been joining us at home for the last nine months and you haven't met Angela, because Angela's only been coming about uh, maybe, I don't know, four or four months maybe. Uh, Angela has cerebral palsy. It's difficult for her to, to talk even. Angela loves Jesus. She wrote, she wrote a book of poetry. I, I, I bought it last week. It's $10. We're going to start selling it in our library. It's the best $10 I ever spent. And guess what this book of poetry is about? It's not about, oh, woe is me. It's not about, oh, look at this. Oh, look at that. She could write all that stuff, I'm sure. But what did she write about? She wrote about Jesus. She wrote about her love for Jesus. Last week, last week, after Sunday morning, uh, she wrote a poem. It's not in the book. But I'll read it for you. This was, she wrote this last Sunday. Jesus wants to move into your neighborhood and your life and wipe your tears away. Jesus wants to move into your neighborhood and give you peace. Jesus wants to move into your neighborhood and give you love to warm the deepest part of your soul. Jesus wants to move into your life and make you whole even when the whole world around you is falling apart. Angela wrote that last week. There are others. There are others that we could talk about, you know, from our own church who are dealing with cancer, who are warriors. 
and they're not they're not superhuman they go that we all have our days i'm not saying that i'm not saying that we don't have have our days you know we all have that but the difference is god is with us when we have the blessed presence of Jesus, no matter what life can throw at us, we can know God is with me. I'm not alone, God is with me. I'm not by myself, God is with me. And that's true even if you're sitting at home on your couch all by yourself. Amen. God is with us. Do you ever notice in the Bible when Jesus uh, would, would go up to someone who was troubled, had some sort of problem, do you remember? Often, often, often he'd say the same thing. You know what he would say? He'd say, I mean, this is a pro- person with problems, with obvious problems. You know what he would say? What do you want me to do for you? There was two blind guys in Matthew 20 who were standing by the side of the road outside of Jericho, and Jesus was going there crying out for Jesus, and the people tried to hush him. And, and, Jesus, and Jesus said, hey, what can I do for you? Same thing happened in, in Mark's gospel with a guy named, you remember his story, uh, uh, Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus standing by the side of the road crying out for Jesus. Jesus goes up to old Bart and says exactly the same thing. What do you want me to do for you? Emmanuel moves into our neighborhood. I think he comes up to us and says the same thing. What can I do for you today? Whether you're at home alone, sitting on your couch, sipping your coffee, watching the service, pretending you're, maybe even your spouse is watching and you're pretending not to listen, but you are. Jesus comes up to you. What can I do for you? He comes up to us in the this, in this pews here. Listen. So what can I do for you today, my friend? Now, before, before, before you answer, hold on one second. Here's the fine line at the bottom of the contract. I need to warn you this. Your answer may come in a way that doesn't look like your answer. Remember, remember in the first century, people had been praying for, for the Messiah, right? They'd been praying for a thousand years, praying, praying, praying for a thousand years. Remembering uh, Nathan's promise to David, God's promise through Nathan, you know, I'm going to have your, your throne will last forever. And so they've been praying for that for a thousand years. And then Jesus shows up, this backwoods preacher with a Galilean accent. And everybody, at the end, everybody said, I don't know what the Messiah looks like, but you ain't it, pal. And guess what? They were wrong. Your answer, my point, your answer may look different than what you expected to answer. But that's all right. Jesus will come up to you. That's the, bottom, that's the, the warning. Say, what do you want? What can I do for you? Just like he did to Bonnie Bartimaeus, like he did to so many others. What can I do for you? He did that for a missionary in uh, China, a guy by the name of Oswald Golter. Oswald Golter was a missionary in China back in the 40s, when the communists came in and they were kicking all the missionaries out. And that's well Golter needed some money. They weren't like kicking you out and you know, paying for your way home. They were just kicking you out. And if you didn't get kicked out, you, know, you were in trouble. So he was praying. He was praying for money to get home. He hadn't been home. Imagine this. He was a missionary in China. Hadn't been home in 10 years. Missions have changed. You know, we fly down to Panama. We're there in a few hours. We do work for a little bit. Come back home. But back in the 40s, he had no money to get home. The communists were coming in. He was praying for money to get home. Eventually, his mission board sent him money to go home. So he bought a ticket. Again, you don't fly on an airplane. He bought a ticket on a boat to take him home. Hadn't been home in 10 years. The boat stopped in, in India to refuel and get more supplies. There's a little bit of a layover. 
So he got off the ship, and when he was there, he realized there was a, a boat of refugees. It was the same port, but they weren't allowing the refugees to get off the ship. No, no country was accepting those refugees. And so Reverend called the missionary, you know, you'd take the missionary out of China, but he's still a missionary. And so he got access to go on that refugee boat. And he started going on the boat and he just looked around. It was Christmas time. And he started telling everybody, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. And eventually one of the refugees came up to him and said, sir, we're not Christians. We don't celebrate Christmas. And it was like Reverend, Reverend Oswald, he didn't even hear the guy. He said, well, what do you want for Christmas? <laughs> the guy goes, wait a minute. I just told you, we don't celebrate Christmas. I don't want anything for Christmas. He goes, no, 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 but if you were, if you did celebrate Christmas, what would you want for Christmas? And they had this long conversation. Eventually, the guy, you know, finally gave in to Reverend Oswald and said, I don't know, I'd, maybe some pastries. Well, Reverend Oswald, you know, he couldn't help them long term. They were, you know, he wasn't anything in politics. He's just a missionary from China trying to get back to America. And so he left the ship and he scored the city to look for some pastries. And he finally found a baker who would bake hundreds of pastries for him. He didn't have any money. Remember, he'd been praying for money. Lord, I need money to get back home. Only thing he had was a ticket home. You know what Reverend Oswald's going to do, don't you? He cashed in his ticket. He bought the pastries. He took it back to those refugees that that weren't even Christians and he started handing out pastry after pastry after pastry and at every one he'd say Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. Now eventually, I don't know how, he eventually did get home but it was months later. He was telling that story years later and a student came up to him and said, Reverend Oswald, why in the world did you do that? Those people, those people didn't even know Jesus. Reverend Oswald said, I don't but I know Jesus. My brothers and sisters, we're living in a pandemic. So many of our neighbors and the people we come in contact with, they don't know Jesus. It's almost like, you know, this, this pandemic, it's almost like we've been refugees, you know, locked in our boat. Some of you at home, you may feel exactly that, but we know Jesus. We know that God is with us. We know Emmanuel came. And he comes up beside us. Even when the pandemic has slammed us and smacked us around and we could, we, could, we could join in with the crowd. Oh boy, I can't wait for 2021 to get here. 2020, blah, blah, blah. Or we could say, wait a minute, God is with us. And God wants to come and work among us. And I believe he'll come up to you this morning and say to you what he said to blind Bartimaeus and so many others. What can I do for you? Now be careful. The answer might not look like you think it's going to look. But it'll be the answer from God Almighty. What can I do for you?